Today's scripture reading comes from John chapter 21. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called twin, Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, Zebedee's sons, and two others of his disciples were together. I'm going fishing, Simon Peter said to them. We're coming with you, they told him. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. When daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Friends, Jesus called to them. You don't have any fish, do you? No, they answered. Cast the net on the right side of the boat, he told them, and you'll find some. So they did, and they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. The disciple, the one Jesus loved, said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tied his outer clothing around him, for he had taken it off, and plunged into the sea. Since they were not far from land, about a hundred yards away, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire there, with fish lying on it and bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus told them. So Simon Peter climbed up and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. Even though there were so many, the net was not torn. Come and have breakfast, Jesus told them. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him. You know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told him. A second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him. You know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. He asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. After saying this, he told him, follow me. So Peter turned around and saw the disciple Jesus loved following them, the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and asked, Lord, who is the one that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? If I want him to remain until I come, Jesus answered, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. So this rumor spread to the brothers and sisters that the disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not tell him that he would not die. But if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if every one of them were written down, I suppose not even the world itself could contain the books that would be written. Welcome this Lord's Day, St. Louis Crossing family. Once again, this morning we come to John chapter 21. If you have your Bibles, follow along with me. I'm going to start at the very end. Verse 24 says, This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things, who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. 
Now there are also many things, other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. The beloved Apostle John had a mission. He had a goal. He had a purpose for writing this letter, as we have talked about over the last couple of weeks. And this part of this, this text says that his testimony is true. We saw last week that John wanted others to know. In John chapter 21, verse 31, it says, Those were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. In the last verse of this gospel, it says that we've just come to the tip of the iceberg of all that Jesus did. And if you would try to write everything that he did, all the books of the world would not contain all the things that Jesus had done. This morning we come again, this Lord's Day, worshiping and celebrating and bowing our heads before this Jesus, this resurrected Christ. He is grand. He is marvelous. He's magnificent. He's glorious. He's, he's amazing. We stand this morning in the presence of Jesus, the Nazarene. I'd like to take just a few moments and thank everyone who's doing everything in their power here in our St. Louis Crossing family to make this worship experience on this Lord's Day mimic a traditional worship experience together. There's a great effort going on because, you see, we believe that this is the Lord's Day. No matter if we can be together or not, we believe that this is a special day, the first day of the week. You see, it just because we're in a pandemic doesn't mean we get a pass. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't make this celebration of the Lord's Day great and marvelous. And so I hope that you are, and I know many of you are, because you've talked to me about it. So keep moving and keep doing what you're doing. And we're going to keep moving through the passage. This morning, we see in John chapter 21, what most people call the restoration or the recommissioning or the reinstatement of Peter. It begins with the revelation of Christ Jesus again. And that leads to the reassessment of the discipleship's efforts. It, we see very clearly the repentance of Peter, his restoration, and then his recommission. You could almost divide this chapter, chapter 21, up into two segments. There's the fruitlessness of the disciples' efforts in the first part. And then the second part is the failure of their devotion. It would be easy to see Peter as the dominating character in this chapter. He's either written in every verse or implied in every verse. And you know, Peter is that leader. He's a born-again leader, as we would say. And Peter has people following him. And in our text right here, he says he's going to go fishing and others follow him. It's after the resurrection, but it's definitely before his restoration. You know, we are all leaders and as leaders, we need to be careful of the people that are following us. We need to be careful not to get into a backslidden condition like Peter. That's why this chapter is particularly important. That's why Peter in this chapter is important. And I want to talk just briefly to parents this morning. There is no greater leadership opportunity than leading your children not just in every, the facets of everyday life, but there's no greater opportunity than leading your children spiritually, mom and dad. And I would say that we need to be careful with our leadership. 
We need to be careful because if we're not in the right relationship with the Lord Jesus, if we are backslidden or away from the Lord, we need to be careful of how we're leading our family. And so we should be looking at Peter's example and making sure we're leading our family in a proper way. With that said, I want to say that there's no doubt the dominating character of this chapter is the Lord Jesus. He dominates the chapter. Jesus is dealing with their futility of their efforts. He's dealing with their disastrous failures. And he's dealing with not only their lives, but our lives as we read the text. You see, he dominates because we see, and don't miss it as we go through this message, the grace and mercy and forgiveness and love and patience and all the other qualities of the Lord Jesus. In this chapter, chapter 21, in verse 21, it says, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself in this way. I want to remind us that the gospel writer John is making it clear that Jesus has written. He's taken the opportunity again in the very end of this chapter to leave no doubt that Jesus was who he said he was. He did what he said he come to do, and he had accomplished everything he needed to accomplish. Sometimes when I prepare a message, I'm, it's almost going through me first. I sometimes believe that the message is for me. And as I was preparing this message, I got to this point and I was thinking about this revelation that John is taking such painstaking effort to communicate to us. And I begin to think, am I worshiping and living and serving a real risen reigning Savior? Or am I just propagating uh, religious activity? And if that question's for me, I need to ask it of you this morning. Is our life really revealing that we're in a relationship with the risen Savior? Do you really believe that this morning He's seated on His throne in heaven and He's ruling and reigning? Jesus wants to make for sure that we know that He is and that we can have a relationship with Him. Jesus reveals Himself and as he begins to reveal himself in the following verses, we notice that John's gospel, all through John's gospel, it's full of symbolism and significance. Immediately we see in our text that Jesus is taking them back to the day that he called them. You remember it. You remember it probably very well. There's no mistaking that in verses 4 and following, this miracle, this great big catch, is a demonstration, this whole thing is a demonstration of the difference between life and ministry with Jesus and life and ministry without Jesus. There's no doubt that Jesus is wanting to communicate to the disciples. There's a difference between the presence of Jesus being in our life and our lives being without the presence of Jesus. In verse 3, it says that Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we're going to go with you. Then they went out and got in the boat. And that night they caught nothing. John's driving that point home. 
If you have time later today or even now, you may want to take your Bibles and go back to Luke 5. That's the first time Jesus tells them to cast their nets. It says in chapter 5, verse 4 of Luke, when they had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out, your, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Peter basically said, Master, we've toiled all night and we've took <clears throat> nothing. But at your word, I will let down my nets. And then there's a miraculous thing that happens. It says that the catch that they had that night after they followed Jesus was so big it filled the boat and the boat began to sink. John's taking great care to point out how intentional Jesus is being. What does Jesus do? In John chapter 21, our text, he asked them, had they caught anything? And they said no. And Jesus says, cast the net on the right side. And they did. Hey, kids, I got a question. It's a Bible trivia question. Do you know how many fish they caught that day following Jesus' instructions? Give up? Some of you maybe guessed it. 153. Can you imagine catching 153 fish? That's a big catch. Wow, how amazing. I just couldn't imagine cleaning that many fish. John's gospel is full of symbolism. And there's no doubt that this is an illustration of the dichotomy of doing life in your own strength and doing life in the power and the presence and the strength of our Savior. John 21, 12 says, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Not one of the disciples dared to ask, who are you? The Bible says they knew it was the Lord. They didn't say a peep. It was clear. Jesus was being so kind and so gentle, so gracious. But he was profoundly reminding them that he had called them to be fishers of men. He had called them to follow him. Now they weren't. They had possibly returned to their old way of life. This morning, it's clear, it's a perfect demonstration of living our lives in our own strength, in our own power, living in disobedience to Christ versus living in obedience and trusting Christ, living in His strength. You see, life without Jesus is barren. Let me say that to you again. Life without Jesus is barren. Oh, do you remember that when you first were saved? Do you remember how excited you were? Do you remember how you couldn't wait to read your Bible and everything you read was exciting to you? There was a time that you were ready to go to church. You, you were looking forward to go to church. You were all in with Jesus. But then something happened. Life got in the way and we got busy and we began to think less and less about Jesus. Maybe even Jesus wasn't meeting your expectations. Maybe you came to a point that after following Jesus, he just didn't do what you thought he should do. I believe that's what Peter 
was thinking. I, 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 if we could read in, maybe Jesus was just tired of waiting on Jesus. And here comes Jesus as gently and patiently and just on time, just like he does. And he tells them to cast on the other side. Notice the Bible says they followed his voice. They did what he said. And one of the greatest lessons for us is just simply this. Listening to Jesus. This week as I was doing our daily focus for the emails that I've been sending out, I came across Colossians 3 where Paul tells us to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. This morning... I want to ask you, I've asked myself, who am I obeying? Who am I following? Who am I listening to? Who am I trusting? In verse 12, we begin to see the transition into the second half of the chapter. Jesus had breakfast prepared for them. I couldn't imagine a more glorious thing. I I think of the time that we're going to have a banquet prepared for us in heaven. But here, this is on earth. And he's going to begin to address their failure and devotion to him. And he was going to do it in a unique way. He was going to do it only as Jesus could. He was actually going to draw out or lift out one of these guys, this crowd that was with them. He's going to bring out, and in a, in a proper way, in a gracious way, he's going to single out Peter, he's going to get real, and he's going to get intimate, and he's going to get personal with Peter. He's going to ask Peter to reassess and refocus. Those are painful processes. So it's just like going to the doctor, and you have a pain somewhere in your body, and the doctor comes in and says, where's the pain? And you, said to, you say to him or her, it's right here. And the doctor begins to probe and to point and to touch and to prod around. And finally, there's a spot where the, the hands of the physician it gets right to that, that space. And you say, yeah, yes, yes, that's it. That's, that's where it hurts. It's only when we come to the place that's the pain, the place that hurts, we can get healing. There's a phrase in John 21, 9. I'd like for you to look there. It says, when they got out of the boat, they saw a charcoal fire in place. They saw a charcoal fire in place. It's only used two times in Scripture. It's only used two times in the New Testament. It's only used two times in the Gospel of John. That's where it's used. Only twice. John 21 and John 18, 18. Here's what that says. It's just a couple of chapters before we get here. You may recognize it. Jesus is, again, being very intentional. He says, Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. This is the night of Peter's denial. It was no accident Jesus had built a fire. It was no accident that John records this phrase about a charcoal fire specifically. It's there. It's there to draw up an image in Peter's mind and to the other disciples that were around them. It was clear what was going on. This was the image that was 
was cataloging, it was, it was describing, it was putting to the forefront Peter's failure. You remember Peter. He was the one that said Jesus was the Messiah. He's the first of everything. You remember Peter. He's the one in John 13, 37 said he would lay down his life for the Messiah. When things got tough, though, Peter denied Jesus. He didn't want to be associated with Jesus. He was warming himself up to the fire of the world rather than to the fire of the gospel. You see, Peter was warming himself up that night at that fire just as Jesus predicted and prophesied he would deny him three times. Now, the great physician, Jesus, is poking and prodding on Peter. In John 21, 15, it says, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, notice he didn't say Peter or Simon Peter, just his common name. Son of John, do you love me? Three times he penetrated and probed Peter with those questions reminiscent of the three denials, those three painful denials of Peter. There's a reassessment and a refocusing that must come before restoration and recommissioning that comes through repentance in verses 15 through 17, you will see it. Those initial questions of Jesus probed him to the very depth of his soul. Jesus was bringing Peter to a place of his failure. Jesus, because he knew it was the only way to restore him, was bringing him to the end of himself. Can I be candid with you this morning? Repentance is necessary, but it's painful, but it's paramount that we do it. I thought about another person that was repentant and restored in the Old Testament, David, King David. He had sinned in a great way. It was a magnificent sin, and Psalms 38 and Psalms 51 both give us insights to the pain of David's repentance back to the Lord. Psalms 51.17 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Let me quickly read to you what Charles Spurgeon said about repentance. He said, Repentance is a discovery of the evil of sin, mourning that we committed it, a resolution to forsake it. It is in fact a change of mind of a very deep, in practical character, now notice these words, which makes the man love what he once hated and hate what he once loved. John Piper simply says, repenting means experiencing a change of mind that now sees God as true and beautiful and worthy of all of our praise and all of our obedience. Peter was face to face now with his failure. That's a lifelong process of repentance. It may not be as extravagant as this time, but it's a way of life. Notice Jesus, again, the dominant character of our text, is gracious and merciful. He's guiding Peter through this process, and he will do the same for you and I, for you and me. He'll do the same for us, just like a doctor 
finding the spot that hurts the most. If there's a pain in your life, if there's something uncomfortable where you are this morning, if there's something that you just you feel like God's got his finger on, it's there because he does and he, he's trying to help you. Jesus knows that Peter needs to be restored and also he's going to recommission him. It's one, of the, it's one thing for Jesus to restore Peter personally. It's yet another for him to recommission him back to his apostolic position. Only Jesus would restore and recommission. That's why we can sing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. Peter was seeing it that day on that seashore. You know, this restoration of Peter demands our obedience. Restoration means restoring Peter to his proper relationship with God. That restoration is a restoration of what's preeminent and prominent in our lives. It's a relationship of love. When asked what the greatest commandments were, Jesus said they were to love God and love others. It, it appears that in our text, Jesus is refocusing Peter on what it means to be restored and recommissioned. And that's to love God and love others. How do we love God and love others? It's through obedience. Obedience in our life. Verses 18 and 19 possibly could be some of the saddest verses in the scripture. I don't know about you. I don't know how I would take it. But Jesus tells Peter that there was a time you denied me. Now you're going to glorify me. You denied me, but now you're going to glorify me. And the way you're going to glorify me is by dying. Probably just like you and just like I would do it. Peter knows as the beloved apostle, John, I don't know. I'm sure they were close enough. It's close enough that John is hearing this conversation. And Peter says, hey, what, what about him? In other words, when's he going to die? Why do I have to die? Does he have to pay the same price I'm going to pay? And if there's ever a takeaway, here it is. Here's our focus. The dominant factor of our faith in our walk with Jesus, it's in John chapter 21, verse 21 and 22. It says, when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remaineth until I come, what is that to you? And then three words, you follow me. Our focus sometimes gets on everything and everyone else. Satan loves to draw our attention away from Jesus and place it on other things. On our brothers and sisters in Christ, on our siblings, on our children, on our parents, on our co-workers, on our neighbors, on the, on the guy at work, on the lady at the store. He loves to get our focus on everything else. Hey, forget about gossip, although that's a big deal. Here's the issue. Where's our focus when that's happening? That's what, that's what Jesus was saying to, to Peter. Peter, 
You just need to focus on me. You see, Jesus is the solution. On Wednesday night in our Zoom calls, we've been talking about biblical theology. And, and it's, it's clear the author says in that little book that the Bible is all about Jesus. Well, let me tell you, the Christian life is all about Jesus. It's all about loving and serving and worshiping this risen Savior. Jesus is frank with Peter. He said, what's it to you, my relationship with John? You let me be God in your life. You worry about you. You worry about your relationship with me and let me take care of my relationship with the others. And then he says to Peter, and I think he says it to us this morning, you follow me. That is a repentant, restored, recommissioned, fruitful, devoted person. That person is one who fixes their eyes, their gaze upon Jesus. So I conclude. Living the Christian life is this. Totally following Jesus. 100% all in. It comes down to these three words. They're mentioned a couple times at the very end of this gospel. You follow me or follow me. May this Lord's day continue to make us a great church because we're great followers of Jesus. As we come to our end this morning, I'm compelled by the word to ask you, who are you following? Maybe God's been calling you during these most unusual days in this time. And right now, there in the midst of your living room, you've been turning your back. You've been giving a deaf ear to God. And the Holy Spirit keeps knocking. He keeps poking. He keeps prodding. He keeps convicting you of the sin that you know that you can't save yourself from. And He, he wants to save you. He's calling you this morning there, right there in the quietness of your living room. Why don't you just say, Lord, save me. I can't save myself. It's by your grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that I can be saved. But this morning, I want to speak to the larger group. I'm guessing that at least half of our church family watches this, and maybe. And I want to be candid. Maybe in a way I've not spoken at least in a while. Are you where you need to be in your relationship with Christ? Seriously. Please don't brush it aside. Please don't hit the mute button. Please don't get up and go get another cup of coffee. Not now. I'm just a couple of minutes away. Please. Has the Lord placed his hand in an area of your life in the midst of this pandemic that is sore and painful. Are you really a backslidden person who's just been operating for a long time under the guise of a faithful follower of Christ? You come to church most times. You attend Sunday school most of the time. You read your Bible occasionally. You pray before your meals. All those things are, are wonderful. Sort of. But not if you're living a barren, 
fruitless life. And you know, you know if you are. I, I think today, Satan was crossing. I think today God's asking all of us to be like Peter. To take a reassessment of our lives. Where are we focused? Yes, it's a painful process. But here's the good news. He's faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. No matter how far you've backslidden, no matter how far you've gone, you can restore your relationship with Jesus. So I end with this question. Will your spiritual life look different a year from now? Five years from now? 20 years from now? Because of this day, you've repented and you've refocused and you've recessed and you've asked Jesus to restore you back, and will once again that fire of your faith burn brightly. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to look at your word. I pray that the Holy Spirit would have his way in every heart this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.